do a warm-up question. Um, I feel like the crowd's a little sluggish today, so uh, everybody roll your shoulders and crack your neck and crack your knuckles and slap your hands and, I don't know, get off your iPhones and uh, kind of engage. Uh, you heard that word zealous? Comes from that word zeal. Uh, what, does it, what does it mean to be zealous? Enthusiastic is a good word. What else? Intense. All out. What would be the opposite of zealous? I, I, feel, I, feel like, I feel like whatever it is, that's how you're speaking. A little louder so that, you know, I'm a middle-aged pastor, can hear you. The opposite of zealous would be lethargic. What did you say, Brian? Lethargy. Lethargic, yeah. Ambivalent is a good one. Like half-half, that's what ambi means. Ambivalent. What else? Complacency. Yeah, good words. Apathetic. Yeah. Maybe the proper answer when somebody says, what's the opposite of zealous is like silence. Like you don't answer. Um, just disengagement, right? Sort of disinterest. Um, zealous is, uh, I don't know, every once in a while I do a meditation on that word. It pops up in at least the old translations of Scripture every once in a while. You know, zeal, uh, zeal for the Lord. Um, it is uh, extolled often in, in books like Psalms uh, in Scripture. Um, and when I was a kid and I thought about that word zealous, uh, the only thing I could ever think of is that it rhymes with jealous. Uh, but it's kind of like that, right? It's like jealous, like, uh, like when you get obsessive about something, you get very jealous over it. And, and to be zealous um, always strikes me as sort of like... Zeal is sort of the, the healthy cousin of obsession, right? It's like intensity and sort of obsession, you know, but in a healthy way, in a good way. It's like obsession over something that's worth being obsessed over, that, that sort of uh, idea. Or unbalanced in a good way, you know? You ever heard people talk about having balance in your life? I've never liked that. Uh, because it seems to me that all the lives that I admire in Scripture are extraordinarily unbalanced lives, right? They're, they're not lives where, like, everybody kind of has a lot of things going on and keeps them in balance. The lives that I read about in Scripture that I really like are the lives where people have one thing, and that's, like, all they do, and everything in life sort of uh, coheres around that one thing. Um, so it's... If there's balance in biblical living, it's an extreme sort of balance, you know. Um, I think the ideal for us is to be both zealous and mature. Uh, scripture says that zeal without knowledge is a dangerous thing, that you, won't, you don't want to be just passionate but completely unwise. Because if you're passionate and unwise, you end up throwing yourself 110% at something that doesn't really make sense. And that can end up being destructive. So we want to be mature zealots. Mature zealots. Uh, how many of you are mature zealots? Yeah. See, that was the opposite right there of 
of zeal in the congregation. Like a little bit, a little bit from James. Exactly. Why, why, be, why be zealous? Why be zealous for the things of the Lord? Because that's what I'm talking about, right? I'm talking about being zealous for the things of the Lord because this is church and I'm legally obligated to talk about the things of the Lord. Why be zealous for the things of the Lord? Why be obsessed with the things of the Lord? Why be extreme and sold out and all those other things that you guys mentioned? Why, why, why is that good? Because he's worth it? Because doggone it, if you're going to be zealous about something, might as well be God. Okay, good. I like that. What else? Because it's life or death. Really, our relationship with God uh, is the thing upon which eternity rests. So that's kind of a big deal. I mean, if you are a believer in the, in the sense that you believe in eternal life, then that's like the biggest question ever. Right? If you can live forever, then everything else pales in comparison to that. Yeah, Billy Joel. You never stop being hungry for the Lord. Uh, the things of the Lord are infinite. So if you're going to invest in something, invest in something in which growth can be infinite. Yeah. Brilliant answer from our Elani teacher. Um, if you're zealous for the Lord, if you're obsessed with the Lord, it keeps you from being afraid of the things that everyone else is afraid of, right? If you're, if you're all in on something, then it makes you disinterested in other things. It makes you impervious to other things if you're just enwrapped uh, with, with, with God. Um, all great reasons. Among other reasons, a really, a really good reason to be obsessed with the things of God, to be zealous with God, is because God honors zeal. God honors people who are zealous about Him and works powerfully with them and through them. There's something about being obsessed with God that makes you very trustworthy, and uh, God can afford uh, to, to bless you uh, with breakthrough and power and things like that. For that reason and a host of others, I would like to encourage you today to dare to be the sort of person that God honors, to dare to be sold out entirely to God, to be zealous and passionate and enthusiastic and obsessed with the things of God. Because if you are, God honors that. And when God honors you, among other things, you become a person of tremendous influence and breakthrough. Your prayers get answered. Stuff like that starts to happen. We're in the middle of a sermon series on uh, getting, getting breakthroughs from God, or if you want to be really uh, shallow about it, getting what you want from God. Sounds really selfish, but how many of you would like to get what you want from God? Zeal, right there. I heard one, I heard one woohoo, and then 30 of you raised your hands halfway. We are warming up. We're warming up. This is great. Excellent. Uh, presumably, we'd all like to get what we want from God, and we've just been examining what the Bible says about that. Because frankly, the Bible talks about it a lot, right? It might seem sort of selfish and shallow to you, you know. Very few of you walk up and openly say to me, hey, uh, Jordan, uh, how can I get exactly what I want from God? Um, but I know you're all thinking it. 
the Bible just talks about it a lot. Uh, Jesus gives many lessons on it, and they appear throughout Scripture, stories of people dealing with God for the breakthrough that they would like to see in their lives and in their worlds. In week one, we talked about uh, the parable of the persistent widow and how Jesus says, well, if you want to get a breakthrough from God, then you're going to have to persevere. You're going to have to be persistent because God answers prayers in a way that vary in nature and timeline. He may well give you exactly what you want, uh, but it's going to, it, might, it might take a while because life unfolds in time. You don't want to be hung up so much on the prayers that are slow in coming that you miss God's blessings in other ways because you've all got more than one request before God at any given time. Some of them will take a long time. Some of them will take a short time. And if you get so bummed out that one of your prayers seems to be unanswered, that... Uh, you could, you could stop praying about other things and just take you right out of the faith game, Jesus says. He says, no, God's going to answer your prayers, but are you going to stick with it? When, when, I, when I come back and take a look at you, will you still be in the faith game or not? I'm paraphrasing, but that's what the parable says. You have to be willing to stick with it. Um, we talked about how it's important to let every request that we make to God be a conversation with God because God might like to speak back. God might like to edit our requests a little bit. He might want to take the occasion of our request uh, to do uh, a, little, a little personal uh, examination of us to make sure that we're, acting, we're asking for the right stuff in the right way. You know, uh, we don't want to ask for something uh, small when we should be asking for something big. We should be wary of doubting or accusing or complaining to God when we make requests. That doesn't work. That just prevents God from answering our prayers. Uh, we don't want to do anything that makes it difficult for God to give us uh, what is going to be best for us. Uh, we talked about how we want to be the sort of person who gets breakthroughs. And according to Jesus, the sort of person who gets breakthrough is the person who believes in godly things really, really well. Jesus says, if you have enough faith, you can say to this mountain, get up and move, and the mountain will get up and move. He says, so be a believer. Don't just believe in the prayers that you pray. Believe in all the things of God. He mentions forgiveness in, in that teaching that he gives. It's like, believe in forgiveness. Believe in forgiving others. That's the best way to believe in forgiveness, because if you forgive others, you get forgiven. Forgive, uh, believe in the promises that God makes about you and about your people. Believe across the board. And then any specific prayer that you make will be a lot easier uh, to believe in. Uh, in week four of the sermon series, Antonio talked about praying habitually. He went through the model of the Lord's Prayer, for instance, uh, which creates in us uh, a staying power and a stamina. We have to exercise that faith muscle, that prayer mu muscle, if we want it to be powerful and effective uh, when the time comes. In week five, we talked about the power of shamelessness. Look, if you want something from God, ask. Don't be ashamed of your weakness or your vulnerability, and don't be ashamed of what people think of you. Uh, don't even be afraid of what God thinks of you. If he needs to make some suggestions for your life, he will. But ask for what you need. Ask loudly and ask boldly. Um, in week six of the sermon series, uh, we talked about the importance of blessing what you have so that it can become what you need. 
You remember that illustration? Gabby asked for a million dollars. I gave her a quarter. And we celebrated the quarter because that's a good start. That's a good start. And if you bless the small beginnings, it makes it really easy uh, to progress to the big ending uh, that you want to see. And then last week, uh, Sonia talked. She did okay? Did okay? All right. Because, you know, yeah. Yeah. She talked about seeing God's blessings even in seasons of life in which the big blessing that you want to see isn't going to happen for a while. She talked about uh, pursuing blessing and different sorts of breakthrough in places of displacement and alienation because we all go through seasons of displacement, don't we? And today is going to be the last sermon in this series on getting what you want from God. Uh, And again, we're going to talk about some stuff that goes into being the sort of person who gets breakthroughs, the sort of person who gets the favor of God for the breakthrough that you want to see uh, in your life. We're going to talk about being a person of breakthrough. And the text for today is from James chapter 5. It's going to be in your program. It's a short verse, short collection of verses. It's also going to be up in the big board, or you can pick those smartphones back up and open your iBible or whatever it is. Follow along. Uh, this is from an epistle written by James, the, uh, the, the biological uh, uh, brother of, of Jesus. Uh, James was not one of Jesus' original followers, actually. Uh, indications are that James thought Jesus was uh, out of his mind. Uh, when Jesus was ministering on the earth. Legend has it that after Jesus was resurrected, uh, he went to visit uh, his brother James uh, during uh, the 40 days that he was walking around as a resurrected person. And James uh, converted to faith then, became one of the leaders of the church, in particular one of the leaders in the church in Jerusalem. He was noted in history particularly as a man of prayer, as as a great apostle of prayer. And he writes the epistle of James to the churches. And the epistle of James is loosely patterned on the pattern of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. The epistle of James is really just commentary on teachings that Jesus uh, gave uh, some years earlier. And uh, and James' teaching on prayer sort of mimics, it it sort of follows along some of Jesus' teachings on prayer, particularly some teachings that Jesus gave about the necessity of faith in prayer and the necessity of forgiveness for a person of faith. This is how James puts it, James 5, 13 through 18. Uh, He's writing to the churches, to the, the early Christians, and he says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. I love the way this passage opens because it's, it's a description of, of, I don't know, what would you call it? Like right response. It's like obvious, obvious things. Hey, are you in trouble? Well, I don't know. What do you do? A, panic. B, pray and ask for help. Uh, and it seems like a really obvious teaching, but of course we're humans, and so we need to be reminded about what is sensible from time to time. Say, is anyone's trouble? Well, pray. Hey, is anyone happy? Well, what's the right response to happiness? Well, he says, praise. You know, praise God. Thank God. 
If you're in trouble, pray to God. If you've had you know, some sort of pleasant thing happen, well, praise God. Refer that to God as well. Sing songs. Anybody sang songs of praise recently? A few of us, yeah. The rest of us were too late to worship this morning. Uh, is anyone among you sick? Well, call the elders of the church uh, to pray over you. And the elders will anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. No compromise. Pretty blatant for it. Well, you know, if you're sick, get prayer from uh, the mature people in your church, and then you'll get better. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Well, that's a bonus. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Make sure that, that forgiveness is not an issue. Uh, I think uh, another commentator might be tempted to say, make sure that sin is not an issue. But I, I don't really see that as the emphasis of the passage. I think James is saying, make sure that forgiveness is not uh, an issue. Confess your sins so that uh, you may be healed. Clear the decks. Get stuff out of the way. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. How many of you had that memory verse in your head? The prayer of a... It, it, before, before Bible uh, translations got uh, gender nonspecific, you used to say, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Anybody learn that one back in Sunday school? Anyone? Four of you? You guys didn't go to Sunday school, did you? It's not that kind of crowd, is it? Yeah, yeah. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And then it ends with a commentary on an Old Testament prophet. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. It's like, look, if we're going to talk about prayer, let me talk about Elijah. He was just a guy. He was just a guy like us. And he prayed so effectively that the dude controlled the weather. End of passage. In case you were, in case you were wondering. Um, uh, encourage, encouraging, inspiring passage about prayer and about getting breakthrough and blessing in your life uh, generally. Uh, if you're reading this in an old-fashioned uh, hardbound Bible, anybody actually have a physical analog Bible? We've got like three, you know, like four, five. Uh, there's a heading. Uh, uh, there might be a heading for this passage in your Bible that says something like the prayer of faith. Uh, which is the way the NIV used to head it. Um, but it talks about more than faith uh, in this passage. I think the first point that James is making we discussed is, look, if you need something, prayer should be your go-to. Right? If, if you need something from God, here's an idea. Pray. Ask God for a little intervention. Ask God for a little help. There's an expectation of how life works in this passage. And the expectation is, if you need something from God, get something from God. And the second expectation in, in the passage is, if you need something from God and you're trying to get something from God, ask your friends to help you. 
right? Call the elders of the church and have, they, have them pray uh, with you. Because in the kingdom of God, as we often say, teamwork counts. Turn to somebody to your left or right and say, glad that you're here. Yeah, uh, yeah, Team, teamwork counts. It's, it's always easier to run this race together. Yeah, so you're supposed to help one another uh, when it comes to getting something from God, and, and that should be a big part of any fellowship. I like that. I'm going to skip right to the punchline of this passage at the end uh, when James is talking about Elijah. Elijah was a human being just like us. He's the appropriate model for how to live and how to pray and how to get what you want from God. It's this guy, Elijah, a human being just like us. How many of you know who Elijah is? How many of you have read Elijah stories in the Bible, have heard, you know, sermons on Elijah? You guys know who Elijah is? Like, yeah, you know who he is? Uh, anybody from a Jewish background in here? Elijah is like just one of the key figures in, in uh, you know, Judaism, much celebrated guy. I have a question for you Bible experts. Was Elijah like you? Is he a human being just like you are? He, he, he was depressed. Are you saying that because you also are depressed and you share that with him? You were. Elijah was like my favorite Old Testament figure uh, when I was younger precisely because he was depressed. And you know, I have a serious history with depression, and so I, I just identified with him. I love that. He was a messy dude. He was really human. He was really human. He would do a miracle, and then he would feel suicidally depressed. That's a guy I can relate to. That's my kind of biblical hero. Very, very human. But also not human, because, you know, uh, he, he, he did do miracles. You know, he did like control the weather, which I hardly ever do, to be honest with you, to be perfectly honest with you. He resurrected a dead kid, uh, which I don't do nearly as often as you might think. Um, you know, for a while, he lived out in the wilderness, hidden in a, in a ravine because he was wanted by the authorities. There was a season of my life in which I was wanted by the authorities, so I identify with that. But as he hid out, God fed him with ravens. Flocks of ravens would come and bring him morsels of food to eat uh, in, in the evening. And, uh, and I've never been fed by birds. I have sometimes fed birds, uh, but never been fed by them. He's like, got all these miracles of provision that he did. There was one time where he, you know, had this showdown with the 400 450 prophets of Baal plus 400 prophets of Asherah. These are these pagan gods, these false prophets. And he has this showdown with them where they put sacrifices out. And Elijah ends up calling fire from heaven that consumes his sacrifice. And then he orchestrates the execution of 400, 450 prophets of, of Baal. And, and my weekends are usually not that interesting. I'll be perfectly, perfectly clear about that. So... But I think what James is saying is like, yeah, we know all of the crazy things that Elijah did. His nickname uh, for the ancient Jews was the prophet of fire. You know, it's like the, like the most powerful, impressive of, of uh, the miracle-working Old Testament heroes. Um, but James is saying, yeah, but he was just a guy. He was just a guy who became that. 
You know, not because God snapped his fingers and made him that. And one of the really interesting things about the story arc of Elijah in the Old Testament starts with like 1 Kings 16, I think, and extends all the way uh, towards 2 Kings. He has quite a story arc in Scripture. One of the really interesting things about it is that Elijah has no backstory. The first time we see Elijah in Scripture, he walks into the courts of King Ahab, who was a, a really wicked king in the land of Israel at the time. Um, some, some say the most wicked king that nation ever had. He's just a really, really bad guy. Uh, given to murder and, and, and uh, injustice and Ahab and, and his, uh, his wife who was, I mean, technically a, a, a witch, um, would worship pagan gods and, and sacrifice humans to those gods, you know, just like really vile person. The first time we see Elijah, he walks into King Ahab's office points a finger at him and says, it will not rain in this land until I say so. And then he walks out. That's, that's, how, the, that's how the movie opens, which is a very Tarantino-type movie opening. It's like, whoa. But we don't know anything about him previous to that moment. The first thing we learn about Elijah is that the dude is, well, what would you call that? Powerful? Yeah, I'm going to go with zealous, because I set that up at the beginning, and you should be following really closely, hanging on my every word. Get with it, people. Yeah, it's like, because, because Ahab is sinful, and he's leading the country into sinfulness, and Elijah just comes in and says, hey, no, I'm not going to stand for that. I'm God's guy, and just so you know, there's going to be complete drought until you make me happy. Bye. It's like, yes, that's attitude. You know, that's a moment that would make Clint Eastwood uh, happy. And uh, he would direct a good Elijah biopic, actually. Um, just totally, totally zealous, just zealous for the things of God, zealous for doing things in the right way. You know, you could imagine Elijah saying, hey, uh, if you're in trouble, ask God for help. Uh, if you're happy, let's sing some songs of praise. Uh, if you're sick, hey, let's heal you right now. This is how it works, and doggone it, that's how it's going to work. We're just going to do the things of God, and, and let's just not compromise. And if I have to tell off a murderous king and then run for my life and hide and be fed by birds and, and you know, have to... Sh face down hundreds of false prophets and see to their decapitation, then let's just get it done. Let's just get it done. I'm not doing anything else. Um, it's just sort of the picture of zeal. Um, Elijah was a human being just like us, but he could control the weather. Nana is taking her sick dog out. Nana is zealous for her dog. Her life kind of revolves around him.
James, like I said, is all based on Jesus' teaching, and this teaching on prayer is, is based on Jesus' teaching on prayer, uh, having to do with faith. Uh, be a believer, and you can wield tremendous supernatural authority uh, for breakthrough. And one of the things that Jesus mentioned that we need to believe in is forgiveness, and of course, James majors on forgiveness in this passage. It seems like he's meditated on the Jesus teaching on faith and forgiveness and decided that there is a big connection. He says, look, if you're in trouble, go to prayer for sure, but make sure you do it like a, a zealous believer. Um, and evidently, in James' mind, when a zealous believer prays, confession and forgiveness are involved. Did you pick that up in this passage? It's like, look, if you're sick, uh, get the prayer ministry team to come pray for you, and, and they're going to forgive you. What you want to do is confess your sins and kind of clear the ducks, and then everything is just going to work out hunky-dory. Hunky-dory is in the uh, original Greek. Um, there is a connection between forgiveness and um, confession uh, and forgiveness and, and powerful prayer and sort of clearing the decks for praying powerfully. Uh, like giving and getting forgiveness is apparently a big ingredient to a life of breakthrough. Does that make sense to you? Uh, it's like forgiveness sort of pumps Confession and forgiveness sort of pumps faith into the prayer mechanism uh, that we use. Have you ever been praying for something from God and this little thought pops into the back of your head and the little thought says, why would God answer you, you dirty dog? You know that you're an imperfect person. You know this week that you have been, oh, imperfectly kind and short with people. You know that. What makes you think that you're going to get uh, a good response from God? That's not like you deserve it. So it's sort of like an internal guilt trip. Anybody ever have internal guilt trips? Of course not. Denial, honesty, the rest of you lack zeal. Um, well, you know, we could talk about whether, when, and how that might be legitimate and that might truly be a barrier between you and God. Mostly I think that when you pray uh, to God and you ask God for something, uh, even if you are a dirty dog, you just have to go for it anyway because nobody's perfect. And, you know, sin isn't the barrier between us and God that we think it is. But, you know, this is what, this is what sin does. It sort of compromises faith. It sort of chokes out faith which is what God does honor. It's what he is concerned with. Uh, and so there's a really simple solution to that, and that's like confess your sins to someone else. Because when you do that, it convinces you that you're really honest and you know, above board about the junk that's going on in your life. And, and when you confess your sins, you actually find that you have an increase in faith rather than a diminishment of faith. Have you guys experienced that to be true in your life? 
whenever we do our Holy Spirit retreats at uh, Blue Water Mission. A Holy Spirit retreat is uh, an event that we do that's designed to get people to experience the presence and power of God in real time. We just pray for, typically it's newcomers to the church, to receive uh, what's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to receive a supernatural manifestational touch of God, activates supernatural gifts and stuff like that. And we usually do that on the Saturday evening of the retreat. Immediately uh, preceding the prayer time, we have what we call the circle of filth, where guys get together with guys and gals get together with gals. And we just confess our sins uh, to one another. Uh, And it's a really simple liturgy. So if I say, hey, this week I was imperfectly kind. I was short with people. I just felt like I was very finite, and it caused me to be super uh, grumpy, embarrassingly so. What would you guys say if you were in the circle of filth? Yeah, we know how to do this, right? Okay, right, you're forgiven. Now, it's gotten out, it's forgiven. You know, forgiveness is really easy to get in the kingdom of God. So it's done. It's over with. And I feel like I've been a real person, like I've been authentic. Well, now I'm going to go to prayer, and I'm going to ask God for his presence and his power. And, And my sense of inauthenticity is no longer a barrier. Right? It makes me feel real before God. And indeed, I think something important happens spiritually uh, as well. Confession and forgiveness really does wonders for your faith. And if you are a zealous person, you're really into it, according to James and according to Jesus' previous teaching that we studied in this series. If you're a zealous person, uh, you're pretty zealous about getting sins off your chest. Are you a zealous person? What do you think? This is where you confess your lack of confession. Because uh, that's, that's an interesting one. But the big thing that comes up here in James' meditation on praying for breakthrough and getting what you want from God, I think, is this idea of righteousness. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Uh, that word for righteousness gets translated slightly differently depending on what translation of Scripture that you're reading. Sometimes righteousness will be translated as, as just, justice. Um, but the word like literally means right. It's, it's exactly like the English word right. Do things the right way. You know, we have that great Hawaiian word pono. You know, it's just like, well, it's pono. It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's just right. You know, it's just healthy. It's just on the money. And, uh, and that's, that's really what James is saying. The prayer of a, of a pono person, a, per, a person who just like is right on, man. The prayer of a person who's right on is powerful and effective. And the opening lines of this passage sort of describe for me right onness. If you're in trouble, pray. If you're happy, praise. If you're sick, get some healing ministry. I mean, all of that stuff is, I mean, it's, it's appropriate. You know, it's, it's right. It's right on. If you've sinned, confess your sins. I love it that he talks about sin and forgiveness and confession before he talks about righteousness in this passage because righteousness isn't about being without sin. Righteousness is about responding to sin appropriately. You know, uh, the New Testament word for something like that is, is grace, just sort of living a life of, of grace and graciousness. You guys aren't going to be perfect either. I'm not the only imperfect guy here. But if you are a righteous person, when you make a mistake, when, when you fall short, 
then you respond appropriately to falling short, which is like, well, you, you go get forgiveness for it. You confess it, right, because you want to have the attitude of righteousness. And like so many things, uh, the kingdom of God is about how we approach things. How do you approach sin? Do you let it stay secret? Does it beat you down? Do you keep it in the dark? Does it start to choke you off? Does it become addictive? Or when you sin, do you do the right thing? Confess it, get forgiveness, get it out in the open with people that you trust, and move on to the breakthrough that you want. Is it a hang-up or is it not a hang-up? What is it for you? And somebody better be falling under the spirit of conviction here because, like, we all wrestle with that, don't we? Right? First comes the sin, which is bad enough. Then comes the sense of embarrassment that keeps us from dealing with it. That makes us just live in mistake and shame instead of being pono about it. You know, handling it. You're going to make mistakes. Just handle it. Move on. Move on. That's what Elijah would do. You know, this very human guy. Up and down, up and down. When he was feeling depressed and suicidal and he had bottomed out, he walked 40 days across a desert to have a prayer retreat with God on top of Mount Horeb. It's like, that is a response, right? He knew he was in trouble, but doggone it, he did something about it. Do you do something about it, right? When you need help, do you just like think, well, I'm stuck, or do you pray? When you're happy, do you just be like, whew, good day? Or do you, I don't know, write a song, a poem, throw a party, do something about it? That would be pono. That would be right on. Uh, if you're sick, you're like, oh, I'm going to sleep this week. Or, you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to get some prayer. You know, do you do something about it? Do you get on it? That seems to be the sort of thing that James is describing, the sort of attitude that he wants to encourage in us. Handle it, people. Life is short. There's weather to control. Get on it. I like the passage. I'm trying to speak in a way that sort of characterizes the attitude uh, of the passage. Is it working? Are you catching it? Uh, if you're righteous, if you've approached things rightly, if you've cleared the decks, if you've gotten things in order, they're going to occasionally go in, into disorder, but if you've gotten them back into order, then you can move mountains and control weather. That's exactly what Scripture says. Elijah did it, and he was just a guy. So what's to stop us? Makes me think about Elijah again, one of my personal heroes, and I think about that word zeal, how he shows up and preaches repentance to King Ahab. How would you like to be so self-confident in your righteousness that you would walk in front of an all-powerful murderer and tell him off? That's what we're after. Um, you know, he throws down against the prophets of Baal. He seeks God in the desert. The dude is sold out. And if you live like that, if you are a sold out person, then your prayers lead to breakthrough. You know, and it's just not about pursuing prayer when we want something from God. It's about pursuing zeal. You know? It's about doing all the stuff that makes your prayer powerful. It's not just about the prayer itself. It's not about the prayer meeting. It's about how you show up at the prayer meeting. It's not about the church service. It's about how you show up at the church service. You know, is this, is this, is this a time of breakthrough? Right? How did you show up today? 
Did you show up with zeal, with enthusiasm? Were you on it? Did you drag yourself in 15 minutes late? Um, just kind of waiting to see what might happen if it pleased you? How did you show up today? What, zeal? No zeal. Let's just ask. We're in a confessorial mood. How many of you today showed up with zeal? You got to raise your hand. No, no. You got to stand up. How many of you showed up with zeal today? Zeal today. All right. Go on. Give him a hand. Stand up. Take it. It's like because, because, you know, this would be elders. This would be like you are the people that we would call if we were sick or in trouble. Right on. All right. Sit back down. Don't let it go to your head. How many of you showed up today? No zeal. No zeal. You know you showed up. You showed up. You showed up late. You got to stand up. You got to stand up. All of y'all got to stand up. It's like, because, I mean, let's face it, today you kind of sucked. I mean, how many of you today just kind of like, yeah, I just, no, yeah, I'm, I, I'm a liability today. How many of you are liabilities? A few brave people who were honest. How many of you decided not to confess? Stand up. Yeah, just like, I was like, no, I don't trust you or these very strange people. Yeah, all right, way to go. Yeah, but, but what we're trying to communicate in here is like, you know, the spirit of it, you know, the spirit of zeal and the spirit of confession and the spirit of, of being right on and righteous and getting to things because, oh, I hate going through the motions. I just cannot tell you how heartbreaking it is to try to do miracles in an atmosphere of disinterest. It just slays me. It affects me on a cellular level. Not because I'm a particularly righteous guy, but I think because I've just been doing this a long time and I just, you know, I'm tired. I'm, I'm imperfectly kind. I'm impatient. I'm finite. You know, and, and we are supposed to help each other, right? I mean, that's what James says. It's like, look, if we're in trouble, if we're sick, we got to call on each other. You know, we got to confess to each other. we got to be honest with each other so that we can get on with controlling the weather, which is the ultimate atmospheric change, right? We want to change this city. We want to fill up all the seats. And we want to save lives and change people. Then we're going to need some zeal and not disinterest. And more people are killed with the spirit of eh than any other spirit in the world. And I just can't stand the spirit of eh, you know, if I'm having a bad day, then doggone it, I'm going to be like Elijah. I'm going to get suicidal. You know, I mean, it, at least there's a sort of honesty in that. I'm not, I'm not recommending that. I'm, this, is an, this is an illustrative statement, right? But it's like, are, are you bummed? Play the blues, you know? Scream it out. I mean, do something because at least, at least you got to, you got to deal in honesty and transparency, right? I mean, just don't be, uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I'll show, maybe I'll show up, you know? And it's like, I don't know. Stop it! You know? If, if, if you are grieved about how things are going, then I don't know, tell off the king or, you know, execute 450 false prophets. Again, not recommending but there's an attitude inherent in that. It's like, I will, I will start a revolution 
I will become a criminal. I will, I will live in the wilderness and be fed by ravens before I do nothing. You know? And most of us can't even get to prayer. You know, we can't find time to pray in, in, in our day. You know, we can't even work our way to a single healing miracle. And the reason is not because God lacks power, but because we lack zeal. And if you want to be a person of breakthrough, you have to be a person of zeal. And you have to share it. And you have to help your brothers and sisters get there. And what we're supposed to do in church is help one another get there. Did you help your brothers and sisters get there today? Or were you just a little bit of a foot dragger? Better question. Are you going to help your brothers and sisters get there before you leave today? Or are you going to be a foot dragger? Are you going to be reluctant and hesitant? We haven't talked about the word hesitant, but I think James addresses it directly in this passage. If you're in trouble, pray. Why would you not pray? There's just so many reasons to hesitate. There's just so much chaos that gets in the way. Are you sick? Get some healing. Why would you not? Again, there's just a thousand different reasons that could prevent you from walking over to the prayer team and getting what you need, ranging from social awkwardness to simple laziness. You get the idea, right? That's the best thing, best way that, that I can communicate it. Um, well, I, 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 try to be, I try to be this kind of a leader. I mean, God knows I have limitations. Right? God knows I'm a, I'm a let's, just, let's just call me a quirky guy. I think that's a polite way to put it, right? I got a lot of rough edges. I'm, I'm sometimes offensive. Um, you don't need to <clears throat> uh, rehearse why. Um, you know, I'm, I can be a little withdrawn and shut off and stuff like that, but I try to be intense, which is another great word for zeal. Uh, and I would like to impart that to you if you're interested. Um, so let's just end that way. What's important to you in life? Are you intense about it? Or do you do things half-assed? As we have often said at Blue Water, you don't want to be half-assed. You want to be full-assed. <laughs> Zeal, people. Zeal, people. So I'm just going to pray a prayer for intensity. And, and if that's you, if you're in on it, go ahead and stand up. I'll say this as well. If you don't want the prayer, then sit with all your might, right? I mean, just don't get stuck in the middle because whether you stand with all your might or sit with all your might, at least you're being intense about it, right? I'm, what, whatever reasons you have to, like, to not get prayer for intensity, all right. I mean, just go for it. Uh, no, no shame in, in our game at Blue Water.
In Acts chapter 4, Lord, the, the apostles prayed for boldness. Uh, they prayed for boldness, to speak your word boldly. I think to live boldly. They asked you to stretch out your hand and perform miraculous signs and wonders in the city where they ministered. And we want the signs and wonders, Lord, but as a precursor, we pray for the intensity. We pray for the boldness. We pray for the, the, the zeal. And in the name of Jesus, brothers and sisters, I just bless you with all I have to give, all I have to offer in the name of Jesus. I bless you with intensity. I bless you with flavor in your life to be glaring light and intense salt, to be spice in every moment of your life, to be on fire, even if you scorch a few things along the way. In the name of Christ, we break the power of the spirit of eh. We break the power of the spirit of disinterest. We break the power of foot dragging. We break gray and we pray for black and white in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, that we would be human beings as Elijah was a human being fully alive, fully into his successes and fully into his mistakes with great honesty and authenticity. I pray, Lord, for the spirit of confession in our house, in the house of Blue Water, that we would be entirely authentic and that we would exercise it on every occasion. We come to you this morning, Lord, in a spirit of repentance, needing a new way of thinking and approaching things. A turnaround. If you need the turnaround, just extend your hand and receive a little oomph from the Lord this morning. In the name of Jesus, we say no uh, to sitting in depression. We say no to just sitting around, period. We're going to go for it, God. But we pray for your mercy and grace as we go for it. Uh, raise up uh, this army of changeful people. Now I'm just going to give you a minute to do your own confession and, and repentance before the Lord. I think probably some things have been coming up in your mind as we pray this, this prayer. It's like, uh you know, I've, I've been this, I've done that, I want this, I, I need that. Go ahead, this is just a little time between you and the Lord. Let's pray. <coughs> we pray as you taught us to pray, Jesus. Be glorified in us, Father. Let your name be hallowed. And let your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives, just as in heaven. We pray, Lord, that you would make us heavenly people on earth. And uh, you'd make us uh, wild men and women filled with zeal for things that are worth being zealous about. I bless you in Jesus' name. Whatever is important for you. Get on it. In his name, amen.